Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, and some big news, by the way, I, I shared with Dave earlier today, and I, I know the people will be excited for this. Lengthy conversation last night with one Mr. Justin Berg, and we have agreed to terms, hopefully starting next week, that Berg will return for basketball podcasts. So whether that is a split podcast where, you know, Dave and I go for a while on football or uh, maybe we do two a week here in this little crossover section. We do one for football with Dave, one for basketball with Berg. But going forward for basketball season, uh, unless Mike Krzyzewski gets the basketball season shut down, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it will be uh, Dave and I for football and Justin Berg returning to your airwaves as the co-host of the BCJ podcast brought to you by Holy Grail to discuss John Brandon and the basketball team. So that's good news. Heck yeah, it is. Dave loves doing football podcasts. He's not as enthusiastic about basketball podcasts. I I would not be doing the fans a proper service as I have. This is probably the least just like, not saying into, but like knowledgeable about, the season as a whole, I've been in a long time, partly because of football, partly because of just everything going on. Uh, so it is best for everyone to have uh, Justin back in to talk about some basketball. But, and, and hopefully, uh, as we get this thing rolling, if we can work out times and all that, we, we'll pop on Tobes as well. Because I'd love to get Berg and Tobes together talking basketball. Yeah, because then you wouldn't have to do much talking. No, I could just sit back and, and play host and uh, narrator, moderator, basically, and, and let those two talk basketball, which I think people would probably enjoy more than listening to me anyway. Yeah, they, they have to listen to you every week. Right. So uh, we'll work on getting that uh, as an option some. But definitely uh, Berg will be returning, hopefully starting next week. Uh, to rock some basketball podcasts here on Bearcat Journal throughout basketball season. Uh, So in order for that to happen, we do have to uh, not only thank the Holy Grail, we also have to thank Leah's Landscaping, L-I-A-S, landscaping.com. And that's where you can uh, support Justin Berg and his landscaping business as uh, that's that's the deal. You know, Berg comes back as a co-host. Leah's Landscaping becomes a sponsor of the Holy Grail BCJ podcast. That's right. All right, that's the ad portion of this uh, of this podcast. Let's uh, let's get to it, brother. Um, where do you want to start? I'll let you. Where there's there's a lot of different directions we're probably going to go I mean, on this show I think here. It's only right to start with last night's game. Uh, you know, the most fresh thing. Thought it was a, a pretty good performance. Furman was uh, a very strong team coming in. And I thought especially in the first half, uh, we saw a much improved defensive effort out of the Bearcats. Uh, we saw a change in the starting lineup. And, you know, I think I have questions on a few things that hopefully you can uh, shed some light on. But that was my initial takeaway. It was just from the Xavier game to last night at least for the first 20 minutes, the defense was noticeably better. 
it was noticeably better in the second half as well. They just fouled too much. Yeah. And that's that's maybe my biggest concern defensively about this team. I know, you know, everybody's worried about it, how they're defending ball screens and are they going to play zone or, or what's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? And my question is, can, can you defend with the first and foremost, can you defend without fouling? Because the answer so far has been no. And that I think is the, the, the root of, you know, this team will get better defensively when they stop putting teams on the line 25 times a game. Right. Cause it's too much. You're putting too much pressure you know, on both sides, offense and defense, when you're just giving teams free points. So that, I mean, I agree. The defense was significantly better in the first half, um, marginally better in the second half in large part because of fouling. My question is taking the fouling out of it. And we're just, just talking about the defense. I mean, can you do, can you take, well, I'm I'm just saying like, I know, I know, I know. Because you, you would hope that that's not an – I mean, if that becomes an every game thing. We're three games in, and it's a three-game thing. Well, okay. Good point. But just from the, <laughs> from, a, from an overall, like, you know, the issues that were they had against Xavier, letting guys get to the lane, stuff like that, are we just – should we just not accept, but just be ready that, like, about a t- half the game – is the most you can expect to get like a legit, really good defensive performance out of this group just because of the parts? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think a lot of that is going to be dependent on, you know, how John handles what the best, you know, best way for them to play man-to-man defense is going to be. You know, there are, there are different ways to a million different ways to go about it. A lot of ways to skin a cat on man-to-man defense. We saw a lot of changes in their rotations and their coverage um, just from Sunday to, to Wednesday. You know, they had vote hanging back a little bit at times instead of being up uh, on his defender to kind of give him a little bit more ability to recover uh, on the ball screen. You know, are they, you know, will they hedge? Will they, will they lay back? Will they go under? Will they continue to ice everything? Um so, no, I think I don't think that that's necessarily, you know, etched in stone that they're just going to be a team that you hope you can get 20 minutes of good defense out of. I think right now, uh, over the next week plus two weeks, I think if you can get 20 minutes of good defense, you're in pretty good shape. Um, but it's it's one of those things that it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting going forward as John continues to learn this team continues to learn what what the best way for this team to play is how they how they handle that um i think you definitely saw a transition yesterday moving tari into the starting lineup i think you saw a transition at the end of the game with jeremiah davenport on the floor at the four to close the game out that is essentially a four guard lineup that people have talked about i think it's really the only way that they can play a four guard lineup right now is with Jeremiah on the floor because he has the length and ability to, uh, to guard that position at least uh, adequately. Um, But I think watching, you know, watching those developments, developments, watching how things change uh, 
is part of the fun of, of watching John restructure this program. That was kind of something I've been thinking about. And you and I even talked about a little bit in the sense of maybe not right now, but moving forward and to optimize the most growth is the best lineup possibly Tari at the five? No. And Jeremiah at the no. four? Absolutely not. No. 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 You know no. what I'm trying to do here, right? Yeah, you're trying to get vote off the floor, but it's not going to happen. Well, I know, but they're not good defensively with him on the floor. Uh, they're better offensively with him on the floor. So <clears throat> there's some give and take there. <clears throat> Tari's, <clears throat> Tari's, not, Tari's not playing the five. Can we, everybody, can we just let a kid come in and, and, and do something well and, and no. get good at it? No. Before we start changing everything, like readjusting everything he does? No, that's not how it works. You know that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly how it works, actually. Uh, no, he's not playing the five. Try, try something else. <laughs> I mean, I think you'd like to play do at the five, but he hasn't played well. Right. I'm just saying, like... I, when you look at the, the the teams in the league that we're going to, you know, we're playing 20 out of 25 games. If we play them all, we'll be against teams in the league. The best teams in the league, and even maybe not some of the best teams in the league, still have downhill guards. Some of them, yes. Houston right. does. Houston, Wichita does now with, Crazy Altariq Gilbert, if he's healthy by the time they. I mean, play. I let him do that. Like, right? Okay. But I'm just saying, like, but then you're t- then you're then you were into our foul situation, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've just seen what I mean. I've been pleasantly surprised with what Jeremiah has done in the first three games, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud and that could be terrible ideas just ways to get him on to the floor more yeah i mean that's the ways that you get him on the floor more is you put you do what you did yesterday and you play him at the three and the four um and you give him you know a couple i think he's at the point now where you can trust him to play you know both spots you can trust him to defend reliably at both spots so I think that's where you end up getting him on the floor more frequently, at least right now. Right. I think it'll be interesting how they, especially Saturday, how they go about defending Tennessee because they don't really have a frontline um, starter and guy that gets big minutes for a vote to match up against. You know, John Fulkerson is is more in that like six seven, you know, two fifteen to twenty five, but plays his you know what off range. And then Eve Pons is a brick shit house, but he's like six six, right? And and will play out at three point line. So there's not really a guy for Chris to guard in at least with Tennessee starters. So it'll be interesting to see how 
how they go about it. Because if he tries to guard Fulkerson, he'll get fouls on him real quick just because he's so much quicker and than he is. Yeah, I mean, it's you'll probably see him play off of him a little. He's not a huge three like a no. He won't shoot. shoot it. He won't shoot threes, but he'll shoot. You know that the mid the mid range game that is non existent <laughs> in college basketball anymore. Right. Um, he will do that. Yeah, I, Chris can guard him at fifteen feet. As long as he doesn't have to step out, that's where he gets in trouble. Is when he's got to move his feet eighteen feet from the rim. Right. If he's twelve feet from the rim you know, he's not in near as much, uh, trouble. So no, you're, you're still going to see plenty of vote. I, you're going to see, I think we're seeing the move of Ivanowskis to the five, uh, which probably is in, you know, this conference and this system, probably uh, a much better fit for him than the four. And then, you know, some rotation of Tari and Davenport and, and Mamadou, uh, filling in behind those guys. Um, but I mean, I, I know what you're trying to do. I just, I don't, I don't see it happening. And it might be a totally wrong thing to do just in general. I just, me personally, I'm not sure how much of a leap they can take defensively if you're married to vote playing roughly 30 minutes a game. Yeah. I think you, that, I think realistically that'll probably scale back 25 or so going forward, but I thought he was, he, it was much easier to play him even against the team that spread you out last night with Tari on the floor, because at least you have somebody that is a threat for rim protection on the weak side. You have somebody roaming back there that can make people pay if they come down the lane. Now, is he great at it yet? No, but he at least gives you that option that, that somebody's there. When you had vote and rap on the floor, there was no fear of turning the corner. And right. that was, that was the major problem. Now you, at least with Tari, at least you've got a little bit of fear that you've got somebody with length and athleticism that's back there to challenge. Um, and as the season progresses, as I still think, even as good as he's looked, you can tell he's still thinking like he's not totally just playing free yet. Um, well, yeah, he, he, he's playing more free than, uh, than most freshmen that you see, but there's still there's still you know a decent amount of room for right, improvement. You there. still see parts where, like the chase down block, yeah, uh, the total BS shot clock violation. I mean, that clearly skidded off the front of the rim, didn't it? Yeah, I think it was just such a terrible shot that, that they didn't then believe that it happened. Like instantly, like you know, one step dunk i mean yeah. those remove those are like plays that you just i mean you can tell it's all there it's just getting into a flow and i mean i don't know how you get into a flow right right now with just like tons and tons of practice and then like three games in a you know in a week right and, and so it's just really hard to you know it's it's not i mean like we've said it's nothing like we've experienced so the only way he's going to develop is to play. So I think John, you know, rightfully realized that if he, if you envision him being something, it's not going to happen this year coming off the bench. You kind of take the good with the bad and hope that as the season goes on, there's less bad than good. Well, I mean, here's the reality. He's your best four. Right. 
on the roster. So helping him along doesn't really serve anybody any positive purpose, right? Other yeah. than what you're you're protecting him, like he's not a he's not a quarterback in the NFL. He is a very talented young basketball player that is your best option out of position. Play him. And I think, you know, we saw through those first two games, maybe John was was seeing how ready he was. And guess what? Through those first two games, he was ready. So I mean, if, let's he, roll. if he rebounds, plays pass passable defense and, get, you know, does some few things offensively. I mean, that's that's all I'm really asking at this point. Yeah, because I'm just like. It's great that DeJulius got what did he have nine rebounds? Yeah. But that's Eight also nine. that's also terrible. <laughs> At the same depends, time. Depends on and I'd have to go back and really pay attention to it. But I mean, if your big guys are wiping guys out with box outs, and and the I didn't really get the sense that uh that Furman was sending numbers. No. So, I'm just saying just in general, it's kind yeah, of like but one of those things of like – You don't want to count on it. Your safety is your leading tackler. Oh, sweet. That I don't really yeah. want to – I don't want to count on my point guard having to get six-plus rebounds every game. I mean, maybe he's an outstanding rebounder, and that's just what he, what he does. Okay. But, like, I would rather see my big guys – Yeah, I just – I just think against and, – and it's also a jump-shooting team. Right. So you're going to get longer rebounds. You're, you know, it, it's – teams like that are, uh, are an anomaly when – there are, there are going to be statistics that look awkward when you play teams oh, that, right. that play that style. I mean, they, they did a great, great job um, on three-point defense. I mean, they, yeah. the don't make three-point defense was awesome. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think they're counting on, I mean, I think they want DeJulius to get in there and, and mix it up. Well, they need him to, but yeah, but I don't think they're counting on him to be a seven rebound a game guy by any stretch of the imagination. No. What else you got? I don't know where, like, what is your, cause we've kind of played, you know, three, I would say Xavier is probably a little better than we maybe expected. Once they um, had their roster back, yeah. Yeah. Um, we knew, you know, Furman is a, is a solid team, and then Lipscomb is on the better end of what they, you know. By games. By games. What are, what isn't it? We, you know, I think we kind of talked to the defense through. We know what the issues are and what the realistic expectations are. Just kind of like, what is something that you've noticed um, positively? For, through the first three games, could be offense, could be defense, could be a individual player. We've kind of already mentioned Jeremiah De- Davenport. So just anything along those lines that you think is is a good development that can be built on moving forward. I think something that I that kind of was bouncing around in my head today. Uh, they've had three games, and each of the three starting guards has been their their best player in one of the three games. I think that is a good sign for what John likes to do. Um, and then in game one, obviously Keith was in foul trouble. Keith was real. Keith was solid in the shootout. Um, but I thought DeJulius was, was the aggressor in the shootout, at least 
in the second half, you know, down the fight, the stretch of the game. Um, and then Keith was phenomenal yesterday. If you look at John's teams, the scoring is, is spread out like that because he wants to take advantage of mismatches. He wants to, to, you know, watch the tape and kind of calculate, all right, this is the guy we're going to go at, or this is uh, a look of theirs that we're going to attack. And in order to be able to do that effectively, you need to have all three of your perimeter guys be capable of taking advantage when it's their turn. Right. Right. So I, 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 I've been one, I've been encouraged overall by the offense. I thought it got a little stale in the second half yesterday, but really like, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was bad offense at the end of the Xavier game. I think it was, they, they didn't put the ball in the basket on a couple plays that they should have. And then they didn't get any stops. There's not, there's very little time in the final five, six minutes of a game that the other team's going to score 19 points and you're going to be able to keep up. That was, that was defense. We talked about that because I uh, watched the game. I didn't get to really pay attention a ton, uh, but it was funny early, early Monday morning, I'm thinking, man, it seemed like in once UC took a four point lead, Xavier almost, you know, either scored or got to the line. And then I read your article and that's the first thing you mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, it is, you know, but overall offensively, I've been fairly happy with things. I mean, I, I think you would like to see, vote do a better job of being if you're gonna give up what he gives up on defense then he needs to do a better job being uh a little forceful offensively like he needs to do a better job demanding the ball getting position making plays um i don't think we've seen enough of that yet um but i i've been happy overall with the guards uh, the, the turnover stuff yesterday was kind of a pain because it's not something that, that has been a problem to date. Well, no, uh, Julius hadn't had a turnover in the first two yeah. games. And so, they had three last night. Which I would say that they're probably both anomalies. Like he's not going to go, you know, roughly 80 minutes. Right. I, mean, I know he didn't play every minute, but he's not going to go roughly 80 minutes with zero turnovers. And then he's not going to go – have three or, you know, four in a game probably too often. So it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, and then it's still, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing in Tari. I'm sure that's contributing a little bit, contributed a little bit to it. And you're still working. I mean, it's, we haven't, been, we haven't had to deal with this in, in a long time. Like you haven't had to, you know, we always talked about Mick never ran guys off. So you always had, like, you know, cohesive older teams. And then John's team last year was an older team, even though there were some younger parts, like there were older guys. This is the first time in, I mean, God knows how long, where you're legitimately integrating seven new guys and they're all like legit parts of your, your hop, your top of the end rotation. It's not like, oh yeah, we got seven new guys, but four of them are not even going to play. Like you're, yeah, looking I mean, for, you're looking for the majority of them to, to play some minutes. 
So that's a 16 turnover game is going to happen. Yeah. I think, you know, I think when on that front, I think when Mason Madsen gets back up to speed, we're going to see him. Yeah. Probably more than Gabe because Mason is a better defender. Gabe hasn't played the last two games, has he? No, he was, he was real bad on defense against Lipscomb. Like he, he's got a ways to go on that end of the floor before, before he's ready now. Right. Do I think we'll start to see him maybe a little a little bit more down the road? Yes. Um, but right now, defensively, he is – Well, uh, he's mean, lost in the woods. If you're struggling defensively on this team, you can't play. Right. Because, this team's, already, yeah, this, because the team's already not going to be that great on defense. So how can right. you play someone who's not, who's not playing well on defense? Right. <laughs> um, you know – I wonder if we start to see Davenport more at the four. Does that then open the door for maybe Zach Harvey to get, you know, to find his, his place in the rotation. If, if Davenport's playing more four, then Harvey slides in as the backup to Keith. Well, I mean, I still think Davenport would be well, the backup I mean, right, to Right. But I mean, but he can be, play the three with Davenport yeah. at the four. Yeah. If he's um, playing both, I mean, they can both play at the same time then where yeah. if Davenport's just playing the three, then Harvey's screwed. Yeah, where is he going to get minutes from? Right. Um, so, you know, I can see some of that working itself out as time goes on. But, I mean, John talked about it last night. Like, we're we're almost to conference play. That's when the rotation shrinks. Shit. They got a conference <laughs> game next week. Yeah, Wednesday is ne- – ne- a week from yesterday is the start of conference play. Just a USF game before the Georgia game. Yeah. Um, so that's where the, the rotation starts to shrink, shrink instead of getting larger. Like, that's – that's honestly where this hurts the most. Sure, because you would pay- normally have like four or five just crap games that, right? yeah, we're up 20. Let's put these guys out there together and just see what it looks like. Right. You have no, you have no game this entire season that you can do that. And the only one was Lipscomb, and, and that was And you not can't really do it that game because it's the first game. You don't, you're going to yeah. play your best players because it's the first game you – can't afford a loss right and you need to see what your best best lineups are so you're not just going to start you know well that stuff that, against that, the wall that and they were losing most of <laughs> that, that game that also probably played into it like you know down seven eight nine points you're not like all right oh, yeah, let's, let's see how these guys do let's let's tinker give up another 8-0 run and now you're down 15 and going oh shit sorry dan um so i mean I, I, I won't say I was uh, like I walked away blown away by what I saw against Furman, but more than anything, I, I liked that they seemed to have an answer every time because Furman's going to, they've got a great offense. They're going to make some runs at you. They're going to put some points on the board. And every time that, that, that was, you know, happening, it felt like they were able to regroup and then next thing you know, it was back out to eight, nine points. They got it up to 14 early in the second half. They had that run at the end of the first half to, to get it to 12. Um, so I felt overall pretty good about where things were at for that game. It went about as I expected. Um, I did not think Furman would get 10 miracle points in the final four minute segment. Right. Where they, where they bank a three, they throw a Hail Mary up over Keith, who was like nine feet in the air contesting yeah. that shot, and it goes in. Then I, I still I, – I've asked five people today. 
How the hell was that not a jump ball on Keith Williams' block shot on the baseline? I did not see it, so I can't answer you. He he. So the guy drives baseline, goes up. Keith comes over and palms the basketball, like just palms it, and they and they both land back on the floor, and the ball bounces to a, a Furman guy, and he just lays it up. I've I, every time I've ever seen that play, it's called a jump ball. That's the first time I've not seen that called a jump ball. Right. And then you had a ghost foul on rap that made absolutely no sense. So that's 10 points in the final four minutes that one, they had defended well on all of them. And the ball just went and found the basket. Like we saw that enough last year. You thought that, that we would not see it as much like the, 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 the numbers would even themselves out. But once again, there they were throwing in bank shots and hail Marys in the final four minutes to, be in, in a game that they shouldn't have been in because for me well like, are they i mean the situation's true but like they're a really good shooting team so it's not like yeah but they were really bad, bad looks oh i saw like, the one that the guy it towards the end uh the bank yeah. shot definitely the one guy that was on fire in the second half his was just a i mean just knocked it down so the one he threw up eight miles in the air over keith no, it must have been a different one then. Okay. No, those are the two that happened in the final four minutes that were – I think there was one other one that, that was fine that I don't, didn't have any issue with. But, like, stuff like that happens. Like, that's that's basketball. For me, the the the, the biggest segment was the eight to four, the eight-minute segment to the four-minute segment right. where they went from two to nine, and they answered. Like, they answered the bell. And if that segment goes any differently, there's a good chance they lose that game. You know, if they go into the under four down one, who the hell knows how that game turns out? But instead, they went up nine. Now, Furman was coming to the line out of the under four. So they cut it. It's technically seven coming out of the under four. But to give yourself some distance there, like that showed me some metal. That showed me some grit. They got some stops. They got some points. They took a two-point lead and pushed it to a nine-point lead. And they were able to get to the finish line from there. That was a big development for me. That was... And especially in that, that's the segment where the Xavier game turned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were able to, to answer the bell this time. So um, I, I, that's that's one of the, the bigger positives that I took away. All right. Any more basketball? Uh, I just was laughing about this one. Uh, for entertainment purposes only, do you know what the spread was on this game? It's two and a half, wasn't it? Some places had it four and a half. Oh. And some people were either very happy or very, very angry when Mr. Official called a foul with one tenth of a second left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I'd been, I'd been thinking about possibly having a vested interest in this game and decided not to. And, uh, was telling one of my buddies about the ending and he's like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to bet on college basketball yet. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not for the, the faint of heart. <laughs> well, I mean, you asked me yesterday about betting that or two days ago about betting that game. Was it Tuesday? You asked me that. Yeah. When you asked, what I the thought the line would be. Yet, and I was wondering, like, I was thinking it would be somewhere in like six to eight range. Yeah. 
I think it was. I, in- I, I, what I, I said two and a half, didn't I? And that's where it started. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it's just a, like some places had it at three and a half, some four and a half. I'm sure someone had it at two and a half. Um, but yes, I just thought it was very, you know, very funny the way that the game ended. And that's if you're not ready for that type of uh, possibility with the way college basketball refs are, like, why do you even call that? I mean, he didn't even. I don't even know if he touched him. Like he leaned in to like. Yeah. Grab him, but he might not have even touched him. But uh, but anyway, glad I glad I stayed away from that one. So, <laughs> so Tennessee Saturday. Obviously, I have an interest from both sides. They did get a game in last night, first game at home against Colorado. A uh, little little sloppy offensively. Really good defensively. And Colorado's got two pretty good players. McKinley Wright, who's might be Pac-12 preseason player of the year. I'm not sure. Uh, really good point guard. And then Jariah Horn, who I texted you, was like, I had no idea he transferred from Tulsa to Colorado until I was watching the game. <laughs> uh, we all know what, that he's a, a pretty good, you know, pretty good player. So they shut, they pretty much shut them down. I mean, they, I think they scored like 47 points. So it's not great. It, it should be uh, the Bearcats. I think will have their, their work cut out for them. Tennessee's a pretty veteran team who brought in several uh, five-star guards in the last two recruiting classes. So. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you would know much more about Tennessee than I would. How have the five-star guards worked out so far? From what I the little I saw against uh, Colorado, they did not – the moment did not seem to be too big for them. No, Springer was real good. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James is a sophomore. He's, he's probably, all things considered, their best player. Uh, Folk, John Fulkerson, somehow is – like has gone from a guy that we all wished like wasn't on the team two years ago to preseason SEC player of the year. Like, I don't know if he's first team all American, but he's some on somebody's first, second or third team, like all American list. I don't know how it happened, but (laughs) it did. Um, They're just a a tough, well-rounded group. Like they've got guys that can shoot. They've got, power some power inside not a ton a ton of size but um i think it'll be a good measuring stick just for uc in general i mean i think they're 12th in the country right now obviously playing one game and some teams have played what six five six seven games i think it's so so we talked about this accurately put a top 25 together right now we talked about this at length before the xavier game does cincinnati have three games under their belt make a difference when Tennessee only has one and Cincinnati's been in. We didn't think they were going to have any. Right. So I think getting that one probably does make a difference for them. If it was their first game, I would feel a lot better from a UC standpoint than. They scored 57. I mean, offense was not good. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like getting that first game in probably means a lot more than if they hadn't played at all. Right. With UCLA, played three games against three. You know, it's not like they played 
Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Nichols State, and somebody right. Three games and three games that showed them all like all three teams that UC's played have showed them vastly different things. Yeah. So that's also probably a good thing too. Yeah. Um, who are you taking? You taking the balls? It's hard not. I mean, at home, they're. I mean, they're a better team, right? I mean, in general, that doesn't mean they're going to win, but they're at home. They will have fans. Um, Cincinnati will bring cachet. Like, you know, it's a it's a name people down there know, and it'll it'll be ready. To, you know, ready to to go. I would imagine. It's not, you know, as for your second game in, it's it's a pretty big game for probably both teams. For John Brandon, this would be a statement. Oh, absolutely. If you go into TBA and beat the number 12 team in the country, the preseason SEC, you know, number one pick, yeah, absolutely. And in a crazy upside-down season a tier one road win over Tennessee would would look pretty nice whenever we get to an NCAA tournament for sure I mean you, you got to look at it as like that's the thing is like how are you gonna we, we talk about it with football how the hell are you gonna differentiate resumes when some teams aren't playing any non-conference games and some teams are playing seven and yeah. you, you know like so any game that you get in and win in the non-conference, I would say has to carry a lot of weight. So I mean, you're looking at the, the Tennessee is going to be a tier one road game for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even though the SEC, I don't think is very good this year. Like that, if that's the case, they're just going to win all the games. So they'll. Yeah. Tier one in, on, on the road ends at what? 70. How's it? Something like that. I don't. I would need a refresher. It's <laughs> what, whatever it is, it's good. T- Tennessee's going to be a tier one road game. It, Furman's going to be a tier two home game. Xavier was probably going to be in the way they look. I wanted to throw up last night when I got home, uh, watching them chuck in 19 threes. Why are you watching them? I do things like radio. You don't town, have Dave. to talk about them. I, yes, I do. Unfortunately, I don't yes, think I that's do. accurate. <laughs> I have to be able to talk about them. How's that? You could just say random things. No one watches them anyway. I take pride in my craft, David. <laughs> so I need to be knowledgeable about things. Um, yeah. And then Georgia. I mean, I don't, I don't have a good read on Georgia yet, but I, I think, think that would probably be a tier two road game I, ha- I happened to look at them the other i think they've played twice but it was like north georgia and somebody else they won both games pretty easily so yeah um i haven't we got a conference game wednesday i haven't georgia's the <laughs> farthest thing <laughs> yeah um so you know i john has done a really good job putting what he could have a schedule together in terms of the metrics. Now you got to, you got to win at least one and probably both. Not for that, but you got to win at least one of Georgia and Tennessee. I think. And if you win both, you're, you're sitting pretty going into conference. It's hard to, I mean, how do you say what you need to win when you don't, when 
Coach K comes out today and is like, we're not playing any more non-conference games. Like, you well, yeah, they're say, bad. You can't say, like, we need to do this because you have no idea how many games you're going to get. Yeah, but I'm just in. saying, like, when you get to the finish line, what – I think that – I think they need to win both. See, I don't because I, I think it's – it's, they're going to show that they challenge themselves. Right. What, with, what I, with what they could out of conference. Um, I think if you go three and two with a tier with two tier two wins, one at home, one on the road, yeah, two road games. I think that gets you what you need in terms of the, the, the stuff the committee typically looks for. Then you'd have to, but you know, you can't go, uh, 11 and seven in conference and think you're going to make it because this conference ain't very good this year. Um, we, we, it it is not, (laughs) we keep hoping like, coming into the season, Hey, this is going to be the year that the, the conference starts to get better. And Dave, I'm looking around and, uh, no. Well, unfortunately, and, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to use this year as a, as an, a huge factor, but I kind of have the feeling that's the same way for football moving forward. I'm not, real bullish on the conference as a whole in football over the next few years. Well, so. football is football is the, and, and this is again, how the system is set up. Football is a victim of anytime there's a good coach in this conference, the odds are he's going to leave within three years. Right. And I'm going to, I've been thinking about this for two days. I think I'm finally going to write it tomorrow. Ooh, you're have, writing? Oh, I mean, like a message, just a message. Oh, it's not going to okay. be an article. And it doesn't I thought you were going to write an article. It doesn't need to be an article. It's more of just for a discussion. But I think... Articles can be for discussion. I think UC needs to <laughs> make... Do a much deeper dive into how they schedule non-conference in football moving forward. And it's not so much based on, like, what happened in the rankings... Tuesday night. So I don't want it to look like this is spurred on by that because I don't think it really matters as far as the making the playoff goes. But I think for being a pest and for putting, for always putting yourself in the conversation, they need to look at how they're doing things and make some changes because I don't think, I don't think they can count on the league for much, at least for the next couple of years. Yeah, that's fair. I, I I don't have a lot of faith in. I mean, who do we have faith in going forward in the conference? Tulsa without Zayvon Collins is back to being Tulsa. I right? have a little bit of faith in Central Florida just because they still have some good pieces, but I don't have. This is two years in a row they've lost three games. I don't know if I have any faith of them getting back to that like 10 and two, 11 and one area. Um, Yeah. I mean, they've got to fix their defense. It's hard for, I don't know for sure about Memphis because they did have very important opt outs offensively, but their defense was just so bad and they've looked terrible offensively the last two weeks. They scored 10 points against a awful Navy team and then got boat raced by Tulane. So, I mean, honestly, we maybe have like, faith in Tulane. 
No, because they just lost their offensive coordinator and their coach is a hundred years old and everyone loves him. And yet they only, they go five and five or six and six every year. Yeah. SMU. They need a quarterback and they're going to keep playing this transfer game. I don't know how much that's going to work for you. I mean, they have a great quarterback coming in next year. That's a freshman, but are you going to play him as a true freshman or are you going to hit the transfer market? For Ben Bryant? <laughs> I don't think Ben would. Uh... It's one of the, one of the, 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 he's followed someone from their staff already. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's Which talking. generally to means they reached out. Yeah. But shit. If you watch college football, there's about 50 teams that are going to reach out to yeah. anyone that's a competent, you know, looking quarterback. Um, I mean, Navy's always going to be Navy. It's it, you're right. I mean, there was coming into this year, the the conference had been on a pretty solid run over three, four years, but all those coaches are gone except for Fick. I mean, if like, you're going to always have your, I mean, no matter what happens, the teams have to beat each other. So they're not all going four and four. So you're always going to have two or three teams that are terrible. Right. And then if you have two or three teams that are not terrible, but not good. Okay. That's six out of your 11. And we all expect UC to continue doing what they're doing. So if they're kind of the breadwinner and they're beating everybody else, well, those next tier teams aren't good enough to not lose any other games. And if you really, you know, Tulsa is six and one, six and oh in the conference, they should straight up have two losses. So let's just say that they don't complete a Hail Mary with their third string quarterback on the last play of the game to beat Tulane, and the refs don't hand them the ECU game. So they're four and two. So there's this huge, and you see six and oh. Like, there's the middle is closer to the bottom than it is the top. So I just don't know. That's why I look at it and say they need to reevaluate how they non-conference schedule because even if you go undefeated, you're not good. And I mean, you're not going to get, I mean, Tulsa is six and one and everyone loves them and they didn't move a spot in the, in the most recent rankings. So if you see would have played them last week and beat them, they'd have zero top 25 wins against teams that were currently ranked. Not great. So you need to do something with your non-conference schedule then. And you know what is going to be on my list of things to do because I've talked about it for how many years? Right. But it's not the number one thing. It offers you flexibility that I don't think they have right now. And that's the biggest key is there needs to be more flexibility in their non-conference schedule. But I will hopefully try to get that out tomorrow because I think it's an interesting thing to discuss because when I look at their future schedules that have been set, some of them are okay, in my opinion. Some of them need some work. Yeah. You're a big fan of, like, just scheduling by the seat of your pants. Schedule every offseason so you know who should be good, who should be relevant. Yes. Why are you scheduling – 
why is a team like UC who can't afford to not play good teams in the out of conference scheduling non conference games eight years from now? Yeah, who the like, hell knows what's going to happen eight be, years from now? That school could have two coach, be on their third coach by then. Like, you, you can't afford to like schedule OU in 2027. Or what? I mean, I, mean <laughs> I, just, I just made that up. I mean, I don't know if that's the exact year that they're playing them there or whatever, but like, there is no reason UC should be scheduling t- teams more than five years out. What, there's games scheduled to like 2031? Well, that's the Army game, which that's yeah, but I mean, I mean, but still, 2031, what are we doing? What are we doing? Right. Well, that, I mean, that's hopefully what Coastal Carolina and BYU showed people, and everyone is excited about that, but you need everyone to also do that and hold dates open. Like, it's great that they were able to schedule that in three days, but if all the teams around the country continue just doing what they're doing. It doesn't, it's not going to matter. Cause like you well, see, I mean, you can want to do something, not, not to that extreme, but like two years ahead, you see could want to do something like that. But if no one else, if everyone else already has their schedules filled out, then it doesn't do you any good. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's a way that it could be done. Like, like basketball where everything is basically two year. If you're going to do a home and home, it's a two year deal right. this year at my place next year at your place. I, I don't understand why that's not like why you can't do that. Yeah. Um, you want to, you want to get the CFP or the, you want to, I mean, you and I are, have been in the same boat on this forever. Like it's not surprising at all. I'm not even mad about it because he, why would I get mad about something that I have so little respect for? Right. Like you only get mad and angry, whether it's like a family member, a kid, a job, like if you really care about it, like they're, excuse my language, effing joke. It's a joke that a team who lost at home by 17 points in the first game of the year to the fourth best, according to the committee, fourth best group of five team. And lost another game on top of that to a very, very average, because the entire Big 12 is freaking average, Oklahoma State team, who is somehow still in the top 25 at 5-4, and four, is ahead of UC. Well, you know why Oklahoma State's still in the top 25. It's to the same reason. Out, Texas, right. Yeah. It's my whole tweet about the shell game. Yeah. But like, and you nailed it with that. How... For those that didn't see it, that aren't on Twitter, the entire college football playoff system is a shell game. Georgia is at nine, even though they've lost two games by a combined 16 or by an average of 16 points and their best win and only win against a team with a winning record is over five and four Auburn. They're at nine so that Florida can be at five so that the committee can say, Florida has a good win against Georgia and then, or they're at six and then Texas A&M can be at five. So, because the committee can then say Texas A&M has a top five, top 10 win against Georgia. And the same thing goes for Iowa state. Iowa state now has a win over number 20, Texas. Why are they number 20? They're incredibly mediocre. And 
Num- they and they beat Oklahoma, who is pretty good, I guess. But are they? I mean, they keep these teams in these positions so that they can then point to the higher ranked team and say, "Well, this is why they're good because they beat number eleven Oklahoma and number twenty, <clears throat> excuse me, number twenty Texas, and they only lost by three to number twenty four Oklahoma State, who stinks." And the Big 12 was one of the only conferences to actually play non-conference games. And they were terrible in them. They lost three games to the Sun Belt. Three out of their eight non-conference games they lost. Four of the games were against, you know, FCS teams. So, like, you just, they're not getting dinged for that at all. Which is ridiculous. So, it's, but it's, it's. Again, I'm I'm not like I'm animated and I'm just trying to make a point, but I like I wasn't surprised. I laughed. I wasn't either. That's I I laughed when it happened because it's just a joke. And you know, the committee chair comes out and says we've been we've been real impressed by Iowa State of late. What was so impressed? They they won at Texas by three and they beat a terrible West Virginia team. Like, what is so damn impressive about that? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing so, impressive, about, impressive about the Big 12. The Big 12 eliminated themselves from contention 10 weeks ago. I don't understand. I mean, I do understand because they're in the A5. Yeah. But, like, this is nothing new with the Big 12. They've been mediocre for years. Oklahoma has made, out of, I think, the five time, five college football playoffs, they've been in four of them. They've had one competitive game against Georgia when they had Baker Mayfield. The other three times they've gotten the shit kicked out of them. And yet we're still hell bent on putting on forcing in a representative from their conference for some, for some reason that I just don't understand. Like, I'm not even saying it's Oklahoma. Like, let's not, it's, it's I'm not even saying that. UC should be in the playoff. It's not what I'm saying, but like, right. But it's, it's, it's a sham to make it so blatantly obvious. Like you're, I like that. I respect that. Their their lies aren't even good anymore. They're not lying. They're not trying to lie anymore. Oh, I think they still are though. (laughs) Like they they can't, they can't come out and say like, you guys have no chance. We're never going to put you in. Well, of course not making up lies that they're not even good lies. Like at least before they were like, at well, least. before there was never a team, and I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I still I don't consider UCF to have been at that level. There never before was a team that was as complete as Cincinnati that put the heat on them to make that play. Right. Right. I mean, it, you look at like <laughs> the Coastal Carolina situation. I mean, they basically just took Coastal Carolina and BYU and flip flopped them. They didn't. They gave that no thought whatsoever. Um, Georgia's being at nine to me is actually more absurd than Iowa State jumping UC because Iowa State's at least beaten Oklahoma. Like, yeah. So they at least have something on their resume that is decent. And they're, they, they did lose two games, but one of the losses was to Louisiana, who's pretty good. Like, so 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know people are upset, but there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you just, and that's kind of why I've looked at the scheduling thing is it's not so much to like make yourself a playoff team. It's to just can, cause now they have equity. They have three straight. I mean, I guess not technically yet um, 10 plus win seasons, but they have the highest ranking in the college football playoff history for G5. And it's just to become a pest and to become a name and a team that you cannot not talk about. And you just continue to force your way and make it uncomfortable. And there are the people that really follow college football that aren't the mouthpieces for these leagues that understand what's going on. And you just need to make more and more people understand it and talk about it and make it uncomfortable for the committee. But they're never going to, here's, no, I know they're not, but you, they're never going to be uncomfortable. It's going to expand though. So you just keep Mm. forcing it's Mm. it's absolutely going to expand Mm. way too much money out there for it not to expand. Hmm. I don't think they have any interest in it expanding. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, they don't have any interest, but they'll be forced to pretty soon by the conferences that keep getting left out. The Pac-12 being one of them, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Pac-12 tried to do it this year and they got stonewalled, but if it continues to happen, then, and like if the Big 12 doesn't get in and that continues to happen, well, the Big 12 can't be pissed this year. They don't deserve to be in. They lost three games to the Sun Belt, including a team that's in your championship game. Oh, I know. You don't get to be mad this year about not being in. Like, tough shit. Oh, I'm not Play saying better. that they'll be mad this no, year. I know. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I'm arguing just I'm making the point in general. Right. Like, you don't, they don't get to be mad this year. But somehow they still have enough juice that now they're, they're and this is this is they had to had to put a safeguard in in case things went crazy they had to because Cincinnati was too close well you know they're damn lucky that things were pretty much normal the last two weeks yeah or else Cincinnati would have moved too far up for right. them to justify it but here's what I, here's what I'm starting to realize as well. Oh, they'll figure. They'd figure out a way. I mean, they were just Clemson. Clemson could have lost to Notre Dame and, and stayed ahead of Cincinnati. Um, if two loss Iowa State's ahead of Cincinnati, two loss Clemson would be ahead of Cincinnati with two losses to number two Notre Dame. Yeah, but I'm not certain though. If you see, like, at one sure, but are they? They're they'd be the first two loss team. They're they're not going to make the playoff. Well, they would have if, if Cincinnati – if the door was open for Cincinnati to get four, <coughs> meaning if everything blew up the right way and Cincinnati was going to get four, right. Clemson would have stayed at four. Can't change my mind. Can't change my mind. No, probably true. They would not have let it happen. They would have said, look, they lost two games, but they lost two games to what essentially is the number one or number two team. Because Notre Dame beat them twice, so they should still be four. Right. And they would have done it because they don't care. Their only intent is to keep the money 
in their hands. I would have loved means, it though. To, if you oh, it would have been great. UC's undefeated, and it, they put the first two-loss team in the college football playoff. To a team that lost their conference championship. Right. Not a team like A&M that is sneaking in, potentially, because they're in Alabama's division, where they can just hide behind, look, you know, Alabama, what do we do? They're number one. Right. Um. But I, I, I firmly believe they would have kept two lost Clemson ahead of Cincinnati. Oh, I'm sure they would have figured something, something out, or it would have been somebody else. Or yeah, well, if, if Oklahoma beats Ohio, Iowa State, then Oklahoma would move up ahead of them. God, can if, you imagine Oklahoma going from eleven to four off of one win against a team that already had two losses? It'd be great. <laughs> It'd be awesome. But hey, that one that but that one that team with two losses was number seven when they beat them. I would love for the two. I mean, well, how could they jump Georgia then? Georgia was at nine. <laughs> Put Georgia in. Oh, I right. Know. It's, it's hilarious, but I don't. They, they showed their hand. That's all I wanted from them. Was but to I also show their hand. don't want. I don't want anybody listening to this to like this. This has not taken one ounce of satisfaction away from this season for me. Like, absolutely not. I refuse to let those bastards suck any bit of love that I've had for this team in this season just because their, you know, mafia cartel system isn't going to include my team. Like, okay, great. We're just gonna we'll just go to the Peach Bowl and kick the shit out of whatever team you want us to kick the shit out of because that's what's right. gonna happen. And then they'll write their articles about how Georgia didn't care and they had a bunch of guys leave early. I don't care. I don't care. Write, write your damn articles. It doesn't matter to me one bit. Because <laughs> everybody, everybody that watches football knows that UC is better than them. Yeah. So you can write all the articles you want to write. And that, and and that can would say be, all the things you want to say. It don't matter. And that would be the message I would, I would send to this fan base is don't let them take your joy. Like, you do this because you're an alum of UC or you've rooted for this program for a long time, especially if you're a UC football fan. Like, a lot of the people that are fans of this program have been around through some lean years. Been around through times when something like this was never even humanly possible, right? Right. The, the 80s, the 90s, every everything except for, like, a, a four-year run. None of this was possible. So don't let I mean, them we, we, rob we talked your about it. We said it was going to take something. I always said chaos. It was going to take chaos. And now we know chaos doesn't even matter. And there wasn't chaos to even see right. if what that would have like what that would have looked like. So that's why I'm not mad about it in the least. It's like I knew going in that yes, there was a chance this year more than any other, but it's still would have meant like I did not expect Texas A&M to go nine and one when I looked at their schedule at the beginning right. of the year. Um, I did not expect Florida to go nine. Like I expected those SEC East teams and the the teams in the West, other than Alabama, to lose two games. Right. So I expect you know I expected whoever was in the SEC championship game against Alabama to have one loss. And then that would be their second, which is probably what will happen with Florida. But I expected A&M to have a second loss. Um, I did not expect Notre Dame to be this good. So there was a lot of things that 
we talked about in the preseason that didn't happen. And then there was a lot of things during the season that just didn't happen. Like there was a pretty big delineation of what I would call like the four elite teams, which would be Ohio state, Clemson, Alabama, Notre Dame. And then there's a next group that I would put like UC, Texas A&M, Florida, uh, probably Oklahoma, in, and then the rest is just kind of like okay, but not good enough to be any of those other teams. Where in other years, you know, you kind of had the top four was pretty obvious, maybe the top five, and then this year, and then no one else could touch them. So we just didn't get those upsets that you typically get, and we needed all those, and you know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, look, UC's not getting in over Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Not happening. Well, no one should should fear, think that. Right. But the equity they're building, whether it's nationally or just for the program, can't be matched from what they've done this season. Right. So you just keep going at it and make it as uncomfortable as possible until they either expand or you show, a, I guess, what you need to show to some other conference or, or who knows what. Right. Right. So. Um, Sorry, a lot going on tonight during this podcast. The, the governor had some comments today. Should we briefly touch on that? I mean, it, it basically what the governor said is you're allowed to play. Um, right. And you're it, allowed to, and the MLS Bengals and Browns game are allowed to have fans. So. But they just, haven't ruled on UC's waiver and I don't right. know that they're going to. So is I don't it just know that they're going, going to, to let the other games happen with fans and not let the their UC waivers game? were their waivers were already approved. Okay. That's. A topic that has been brought up to me a couple times of why didn't you see apply for a waiver and get the waiver in the spring or in the fall and just decide not to have fans. And then now, they, now they would have the, the ability to, because they already got that. It's a good question. I don't have an answer for it. I, I think it's a very good question that I, that I don't have an answer for. Right, because like you could have got the waiver, but you said we're not going to have fans right now. We have the right. capability to. We've been allowed if things change and we deem it safe or worthwhile or whatever reason you want to give, then you have fans because you've already been granted the ability. Yep, that would that would require foresight thinking in it. Yeah, thinking in advance. <laughs> Sorry, was that was I'll I on leave. mute there? I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. You weren't on mute. That was kind of the, that was kind of the point. Um, all right. But so what? what? I, Dave, what? Yeah, I think we lost. I think we lost Dave. I'm not, Dave, I'm not Dave. on. I'm not on Aaron's Internet connection. Dave, Dave, <laughs> dude, I logged into uh, the, the PTP Sensi podcast, which is Aaron's uh, other podcast that he does yesterday. He was having Internet connections then. I'm like, are you kidding? 
He's in Florida. Like he's he's not even at home. He's in Florida. If you do multiple podcasts in a week, you should, your internet should probably be on your priority list of things to make sure that it's functioning properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've seen like he's he's podcasted from a closet. Where was like, he the other <laughs> night? Like, was that in the bathroom? After the was it after the UC, the UCF game? Was he in a bathroom or something? I don't know. But anyway, so I don't know. There's no sense to talk about Tulsa right now. We'll cover that next week. Um, I feel bad for them, though, because what happened Tuesday night, I know one coach noticed. (laughs) So, (laughs) could be a problem for the Canes offensively. Yeah. We'll see. But uh, do you have any – How about I keep keep having to deal with Virginia Tech? Virginia Tech truly believes that they have Luke Fickle locked up when they fire Justin Fuente. Well, like it's already done? They think so. Oh. Okay. Did they legalize marijuana in Virginia at at the uh, November election? I, I checked with a source on Fickle to Virginia Tech. Here's what the source says. Just for anybody that I, I, I got a, a DM from a member as well that was hearing this from somebody he, he says is connected to the Virginia Tech Board of Trustees. These, I, I love the people. I know somebody on the Board of Trustees. Well, guess what? Your Board of Trustees friend doesn't know anything. Uh, here's what my source, source close to the situation says. Just rumor BS. He has zero caps, Z-E-R-O, interest, even if they did. I, should, I think that should say uh, rumor Amy Fickle has Z-E-R-O interest <laughs> living in, in Blacksburg, Blacksburg, Virginia. Virginia. Zero Z-E-R-O. Yeah. I mean, come on, people. Like, why, why do these people do these, do these things? Why, why did they do this? Virginia Tech has been a pain in my ass. They thought Mick was going there. Do you want me to tell a Mick story? Well, how Mick told him to hire Buzz? Uh, well, that too. That too. <laughs> I won't say when, because when I, if I say when, oh, it was, it, it, the, the comments of this podcast would, would be unbearable. But let's just say hypothetically, uh, I was joking around about that Virginia Tech job because the thing about Virginia Tech is they are some confident motherfuckers because not only not only do they hire coaches that they aren't they, that they don't have any chance with they have detail like contract details so if Mick was like 4 years like 26 million dollars something like that and i asked somebody you can probably figure out who I asked somebody, uh, con- I, congratulations on the, you know, the Virginia Tech thing, four years, $26 million. And they laughed and they said, think West. Think West, Chad, think West. It, so <laughs> <laughs> things were in motion long before uh, 
if you if you put all those those things together i mean is this uh, like on their message board like oh yeah oh 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 yeah oh i'm gonna have to check go it to, out go to virginia tech 24 7 luke fickle is coming to virginia tech oh okay cool like it's done it's done i'm excited i know i know and this last year luke fickle was going to virginia tech when Fuente was was flirting with Baylor. Oh, by the way, you know who Baylor had on their list above Justin Fuente? Yeah, Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle. They tried their ass off to get Luke Fickle to come to Waco. That's the other funny Luke Fickle in Waco. That's yeah, hilarious. hilarious. Well, like Chip and Joanna Gaines gonna gonna do a three million dollar remodel for him on house in, in Waco, like. Um, that might be the only way you could have got Amy Fickle down there. I don't there, think by the they way. can uh, renovate the entire town. <laughs> but yeah, Virginia Tech. It, like every year, I have to deal with some Virginia. And the funny, th- it's still with Babcock has ties to Cincinnati. If you're a Virginia Tech fan and you're listening to this, why? I want you to point out to me what ties Luke Fickle has to the athletic department at Cincinnati. Whip Babcock. Whip Babcock. That's what I'm sorry. What ties does Whip Babcock have to the athletic department at Cincinnati right now? Who's left? Nobody. So just because he worked at Cincinnati, that like he's he's entitled to ever all of Cincinnati's coaches, even though he has no connection to any of them. Maybe if Luke ba- ba- or if if Whip Babcock had any foresight, he would have hired Luke Fickle four years before Luke Fickle got hired. Yeah, that would have been good ading by by Whit Babcock, and then guess what? Then Whit Babcock would have had a connection to Luke Fickle. I just don't. I mean, are you looking at the Virginia Tech board? Yeah, I don't really see anything. Uh, might have, I mean, look on anything that's like coaching search yeah, related. Yeah, I have. I I mean, they're convinced good. Luke Fickle is their next head coach or Tony Elliott. Those are their top two. Well. Apparently, I'm 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 not concerned about any possible job opening this year. Some guy, some guy named Tommy Pickles, oh, she, <laughs> is on she, the T Pick. T Pick is uh, is insistent that Luke Fickle is a done deal to Virginia Tech. The ink uh, is dry. Done deal. Oh my God, we. I hope the recruits don't find out before Wednesday. <laughs> I love silly season. I like, really honestly, did. though, I, like, like we joke about the, this, but like, when have we just been flat out wrong about something? That's what I like. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say like we get everything exactly right, but like, when have we legitimately said like this is going to happen or this isn't going to happen definitively and the opposite happens? Very, very rarely. I mean, we played pretty down the middle last year with Michigan State until we felt pretty damn sure of one thing. We didn't say we gave no updates, and people were like, "We need updates," and I'm like, "There's nothing to update you guys on." Like, we're not just going to put posts out there for the hell of it if there's nothing worthwhile in them. But 
Yeah, I'm not too concerned. But I am concerned uh, apparently, about having some apparently, cookies over the next couple of days. Apparently, uh, Tommy Pickles uh, says he is very, very connected at Cincinnati. Tommy Pickles is very connected? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've, I mean, he's the funny thing is, if you look at he's a mod on 24-7 on some site. I don't know where. But someone has deemed him a mod, and he claims to be very connected at Cincinnati. Is he as connected as Bobby Cucumber? Mm. Bobby Cucumber hasn't gone through the fermentation or the, the, the vinegaring process. <laughs> he, he has not been vinegared. I'm sorry, but like if, if you're a mod and you're, you won't even put your real name out there, I mean, maybe his real name is Tommy Pickles. That would be awesome for him. I would, I mean, but like, get out of here, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, whatever. All right. Uh, what else did you want to get to? So, recruiting? Cookies? Yeah, it should be a, should be be a good weekend. Should could be. be. Should, to, tomorrow should be good. I don't, I don't know if there's going to be cookies tomorrow. I think you should just probably, uh, you know the station that I always do like uh, like sports stuff with? Yeah. You should probably watch that station at 610 tomorrow. Okay. 610 if, Friday. If you're new to this or ch- game. Or ch- channel this- 12 or channel or, or channel 5. I do I do I do stuff with both of those stations. Watching either one of those stations tomorrow at 610 should probably be a good a good thing for you. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, maybe Sunday Maybe Sunday. Maybe Saturday. Uh, I don't know about Saturday. Saturday. That one's that's maybe Sunday for sure. Sunday I think. Sh- okay, Sunday. And then and then well, and you know sometime before maybe another one before signing day. Um, and then Christmas. Oh, a little Christmas cookies. Not chocolate chip. Maybe a little Christmas cookies. Hmm. All right. We'll have to to keep our eyes out for that. All right, well, we've gone almost an hour and a half, so I think that's probably enough, don't you? Um, did you see the uh, the Brian Cook video? No. What's the Brian Cook video? So I don't know if it was a project for class. If you, if you go in the COVID thread, uh, our guy Billy Bearcat found this. I don't know how he found this. I don't know how. But Brian <laughs> Cook put a, a video on YouTube, about six and a half, seven minutes long. And it is Brian Cook going around and talking to guys that are coming out of this COVID outbreak. Like interviewing them. How long, what were your symptoms? How long did they last? What was this? What was that? Um, It's actually the the camera work on it's not great. Um, But it's pretty interesting. And to get a scope of what was really going on inside the program from the UCF game. And Luke oh. was pretty open about this. Yeah. Um, what was going on from the UCF game until the game being canceled by the, the medical advisory board the other day. Um, it's got, here are the names in this video talking about their experience with COVID. Darian Beavers, Lenny Taylor, 
Jared Dokes, Derek Forrest, Trey Tucker, uh, Jarrell White. So most of the starters. <laughs> like that, to get an understanding of what was going on inside the program, go to the COVID thread, watch the video from Brian Cook, and uh, you'll get a feel for a small portion of the people that were impacted by going to Florida and coming home with something wildly contagious. Yeah. <laughs> Except it, this wasn't, this wasn't spring break. It was, it was a football game. Yeah. But things were bad. Things were bad, bad, bad staff, uh, lender center employees, players, like if you were around the program, uh, someone joked to me that uh, trying to contain this thing was like trying to contain a, uh, a herd of elephants in the Serengeti. <laughs> so basically uh, good luck. And it's not a laughing matter. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. No, we're not. I mean, I don't think that's why, you know, we're, we're laughing. It was bad. It was, it was bad. And I like, I tried to express that on the board as much as possible. Like, look, Temple ain't happening. BYU for show ain't happening. Well, I, I was told, and this is not from you. Um, total count was around 70. I think if you're counting staff, player staff, yeah, support I think staff, stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's in the ballpark. Definitely in the ballpark. It was a lot. It was a lot. So now you know why return. Why, now you know why the conference looked at return to play protocol and said, "This is not like you're going to have guys that that come out of quarantine, and then here's what." Um, what people don't think they just think like you walk out of quarantine and you walk back into full activity. Well, no, you've been inactive quarantined in your room for 14 days, yeah, 10 days go, or whatever. Just go run down on kickoff 14 days after you haven't done shit. So don't, there's don't blow a hamstring. Yeah. So there's, there's a three, four, five day window where you have to go through the things that are required to get you ready to, to go back out. And even practice. And that's what Fickle was talking about in the Zoom from Tuesday when he's like, we would have had guys that, that just had been fully cleared to return to practice for a day, for one day. Like they would have practiced Thursday, traveled Friday, and had to play. Saturday. So they would have practiced today, traveled tomorrow, and had to play Saturday. That's not, that's not fair to ask that of kids. The, the kids will do it. It's also not fair to Tulsa because they would have got the shit kicked out of them by a bunch of guys who just got on a plane <laughs> and went and played. So, we, I mean, I understand, like, we don't want to embarrass them two weeks in a row. I get it. And the other thing is, should be good now for the most part. Exactly. <laughs> I should... There's 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 one person that I know didn't get it that could screw everything up though. So you can figure that out by yourself. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Dave, good job. Oh, thank you. You too. Much strong, strong episode tonight. <laughs>
All right. Thanks for the Holy Grail for being the sponsor. Thanks to Leah's Landscaping, leahslandscaping.com for the return of Justin Berg. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.